The structure of political opportunity is actually shifted. Journalism is rooted in verifiable for us to gather our cards all over the world than I ever had. This is our great opportunity, I think, to create great change. Welcome back to the New Pathways podcast. For today's episode, we have the lab from Friday, May 29th at 9.30 a.m., which was equity and inclusion, showing respect and care for people and teams, and tips on remote work from Jennifer Williams and Gwendolyn. This conversation was, I believe, still moderated by Ashante Renee. Um, and I hope you enjoy this one. Uh, this one had fewer people on the panel, but I think it was a great discussion. So be well, do as much good work as you possibly can, and stay safe out there. Okay, thank you, Gwendolyn, now putting on her panelist hat. I feel like your background should have changed so we know like you're So yes, this one is... This, one, this one's going to be good. Uh, we have two amazing people in DEI work, and we have seen the importance of it time and time again. And now the necessity of it is, is palpable, right? And so we're going to hear uh, first from Jen and then from Gwendolyn, and then we're going to do it a little bit differently if you've been on a few other sessions with us. Um, I'm going to ask them each uh, two deeper dive questions. Um, and they are, are going to go a little bit more in, into the work, some of the action pieces around it. And I'm going to pivot to how we're going to talk about some COVID response. It's like, what does the action look like right now, right? You know, we talk about the ideas and the theories, and then how do we actually put it into action, leaving this Friday into the weekend, into next week? How do we make this live? How do we make it real? Um, and then what we're going to do a little bit differently this time is when they're finished, well, I'll hold that piece because I want you all to be present in the moment right now. So uh, we will start with Jen. Uh, you have five minutes to give your first spiel on what's happening. And you know me, I'll be taking notes and asking more questions. Gwendolyn, you'll have the same. Danye, if you can do the five minute timer in your chat, you'll notice uh, Danye will let you know there's the one minute mark to wrap it up, but no, we'll have more time after that. So with all that being said, welcome, Jen. Thank you, Tay. Um, you know, I, I thought about the best way to begin this conversation on today, um, being a woman, being a Black woman, um, and being deeply impacted by events of the past week, of the past two weeks, of the past three weeks. Um, COVID-19 in and of itself is difficult. The need to craft a specific and thoughtful response for all individuals that are doing work within organizations and companies is equally important. But I think now more than ever, it is integral 
to ensure and assure that in the space of doing work, irrespective of if you are a leader um, that is able to execute upon high level decisions that will make or break strategies for diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and more so intersectionality, there is an understanding that we are having a holistic conversation about whole people. Um, and I, state that because no conversation of note can be had without being able to see the entirety of a person and what it is that they bring and how the experiences that they are having are shaping their purview of both work and the world. And I'm very clear in the ways in which I do work and the segmentations of how I do my work and the individuals that I will always call out um, to be honored and affirmed. And so it is a very hard week to be black. And I think that that is extraordinarily important to state with these individuals who are on this call and also as a very clear indicator of the stakes, how high they are, and how uneven of a playing field that we're currently on, especially given the dynamics and the impact that violence and weathering is having on the black community. And I'm specifically calling out black people now um, because far too often in conversations like this, black gets diluted into people of color. And that is an important distinction. Black people are hurting right now. And I wouldn't be able to do due diligence without being able to state that. Um, that being said, the best ways to get past grief and state-sanctioned violence and feeling hopeless, uh, as well as being able to figure out and forge a path forward, especially with the disruption that COVID-19 has caused. And I'm so grateful to you when for, for stating that things are moving rapidly. No one is being left behind. If nothing else, this is a situation that calls for constant innovation. And so wherever you are in this journey, trying to figure a path forward that both aids and assists individuals doing the work that you are doing, or trying to be a more thoughtful and compassionate leader overall, or even trying to be more strategic in the ways in which you are crafting your policies and procedures moving forward, you are exactly where you are supposed to be right now. This is really important work um, and I'm grateful to be here alongside you all having a very timely and at times potentially challenging conversation, but it makes it no less important. Awesome, happy Friday. Uh, thank you, Jen. Um, I, I appreciate the honesty and the vulnerability and just going right into it. Uh, Gwendolyn. Yeah, I appreciate that too. Thank you very much. Yeah, I feel like I've been running and running. So actually just bringing into a heartfelt message around um, equity inclusion was really what I needed to center myself in this space this morning. And so thank you very much. Um, my remarks, I, I have been talking a lot about not being toned after COVID-19, but I actually um, didn't anticipate what was going to be in the media today being so front and center. So I had planned to talk to you really about 
what this entire project was born out of. Um, equity and inclusion to me is when you're actually really committed and embodying your values to do the work. If you know Bridges' work, we start with cultural competence training. And again, I, I really want to shout out that Shirley Edgerton is another one of um, the folks that really hold this work in our community and as tough as it is. Um, so at Bridge, we say that cultural competence training is really when you're beginning to heighten your awareness and do some of the things that Jen was just asking us to do, to be aware of folks' identity, to have a culture where people can talk and say, I'm hurting right now, I need more time, I can't do this, I don't have the resources I need. Um, they need to feel safety at work. And when we talk about safety, when we're creating these safe and inclusive environments, it's about safety from harm threat of harm and perception of harm. And there's not a black person I know that doesn't feel like they could be harmed at any moment. So when you're hiring people of different backgrounds, that's a part of what your manager should be talking about. It's a part of what your manager should be proficient in asking the right questions and providing the right resources. And so when we're doing our work at Bridge, we won't do diversity recruitment. We won't do equity inclusion work unless we have the evidence that an organization has really committed to knowing their culture, knowing their values on an organizational level and then on each individual person's level within their roles. And that is a really uh, strong line that most of you on this call know that we hold. And we turn down many, many calls, many people that want the corporate DEI training, that want the canned um, box training. Donna knows, I think you vetted many organizations before you landed on Bridge because we're not always, as you can see, the shiniest object, but we are heartfelt and we live in integrity by our mission. And so we start with cultural competence training to develop that awareness, to develop that proficiency, to ask organizations to do those self-assessments and to, to lean into all of the realities that we live in. And then we will commit to working with diversity recruitment. The hazards of doing diversity recruitment and um, getting all the, I'm dating myself, but the Benetton ad around the table, you know, to make it look better, that's really just assuaging, assuaging white feelings. It's not actually doing the work. And you could cause much more harm. When someone thinks they're invited to the table and they're looked over all the time, that you're causing harm to that person that you invited to the table. And I can't tell you how many times after I'm at one of those tables, I get the apologies and the texts and the checking in afterwards. And what we really need, what we've been talking about the last few labs is accomplices. People that will state it in the moment that someone isn't betraying right, someone's being talked over. We're missing this entire group of people. So that's, that's what we're trying to build competency around. Um, we have this phrase that we use for DEI work, which is IDEA, and it's inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. And that's sort of breaking down the things I was just saying. So inclusion is when you integrate diverse perspectives. It's not tokenism. It's not colorblindness. It's really when you can integrate diverse perspectives and values into your work. And if you're doing work on behalf of a group, if you have a grant targeting a group, you're, those people and those voices need to be at the table and valued as much as, if not more than, the predominant culture. And then when you get to diversity, it's not, again, the tokenism, it's not the Benetton ad. It is really how you reflect and represent the communities that you serve, the communities that you claim you serve, the target of your grants. How are they reflected and represented? And you know, in Berkshire County, I used to say that, and then people figured out, they did the math. It's like, oh, well, there's only 3% Black people, so we're good. Like, no, actually, 
what is the intention of your program? What's the intention of your mission statement? And you reflect and represent proportional to that, right? So, but that reflection and representation is how we measure diversity efforts. And then when you get to equity, it's not equality. Equity is when you get everybody to the same starting point, right? When you actually scaffold people being able to start with the potential of being successful and thriving, right? When you're, when you're white, when you're white male, when you're able-bodied, then all of these things, you, you're, you're, you've got a bunch of boxes checked off. So how do you help those folks that are entering that haven't had that, that, those opportunities and those privileges? And then also, um, I lost my thought for a second with equity, it's just having, you can't have a colorblind lens. I love that Melody Hobson piece, you need to have a color brave lens because then you can look and say, oh, I've just hired this person. There might be a language deficit. There might be, they might be new to our county. You know how we treat people in New England and the Berkshires. How do we help them integrate in, right? Um, so I always use this analogy to end on equity. If you have a pizza, right? And there's eight slices to the pizza and you wanna get, give it to your um, colleagues to say, thank you. If I'm there and you give me one pizza, there's gonna be a war in my household, right? I have seven people, you know, in, where I reside, right? So one pizza, people would be ready to jump on each other. But if you give it to a colleague of mine that lives with her cat, she wouldn't even know what to do with all of it, right? It's just excess, right? She might freeze it, she might give it away. So you have to really have a lens on to see what do people need and how can I meet those needs? And then um, the A part is accessibility and that gets into us assessing resources right? What resources do I have? And money and access to capital is just one of those resources. I use Dr. Payne's work. And remember, I always have a disclaimer. She does not have a race equity lens. She does have a good poverty analysis. So we always have to, we talk about intersectionality a lot. How do we layer her work with other people's work? But looking at what resources people have on an emotional level, um, a physical level, on education, all of those things. And so we have to be able to create those resources for people to be successful. So that's the idea framework that we get into, which is our version of DEI work. Um, and I just, I wanted people to have sort of that framework in mind. But remember, you don't really get there until you've done your own work. Know your bias, know your culture, um, and be aware and have tools and resources in place to do that deeper work. Because it's not easy work. It requires commitment on all levels. And I'm sorry if I went over my time, Donya. Did I do it? Sorry. I think you get a pass. I think we'll allow it. We'll allow it just, just this once. Creator of amazing things. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I love that you, so we're throughout this, this series, because this is what this is. This is a beautiful potential docu-series. Um, we're we're um, engaging our relationship with certain words. And, and really assessing like what that means and what we've, been, what we've been socialized to believe that it means. And last night on the session, uh, we talked about failure and just getting rid of the word fail. It's not necessarily a fail, it's a lesson learned, it's a chance to evolve, it's a way to be better. Um, I wanna add to that bucket now, colorblind. Mm -hmm. Colorblind in the fail bucket, in the bucket of words. Thank you, Ari. Every single time, Ari just takes it, moves it over. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna add that word to it. We're not colorblind. I love color brave. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to circle back to you, Jen. Can you expand, or as an HR professional, can you expand on why this work is so important right now? Sure. 
Uh, wow, why isn't it important? I, I want to be clear. Um, and I've had this conversation both with you, Shanta, and with Gwen, uh, about the fact that pre-COVID, this was a conversation. Post-COVID, this will be a conversation. In 2030, this will be a conversation. In 2044, this will be a conversation. In 2078, this will be a conversation. Um, the, the crew of diversity, equity, and inclusion as conversation in business has come by virtue of the fact that the incorporation of diverse thoughts uh, and diverse values ultimately make really smart business sense, period, end. Um, you can't have or gain or sustain any level of real transformative business without being able to be inclusive of the individuals that are either thinking about utilizing your products or who are actually utilizing your products. Um, as, as an aside, it's always why um, I am very taken every time there's a gaffe that an organization has made and the answer is, well, if you had just hired a black person, it's like, no. Um, if you had hired a team of creatives, if you had had inclusion at the top where these decisions are being made, if you had actually included the thought processes of those who are integral to crafting the thing that you're selling to people who aren't necessarily in the same space as you are in. Um, the narrative never needs to be if we hired A. <laughs> um, and I think especially now in this conversation, we're talking about rampant disruption. And the one thing that is coming to mind is that mantra of one. Oh, if we hired A. Um, I think this conversation is intensely important because if nothing else, it provides another opportunity to remind people that this is not a if I hired A person. This is if I multi-layered my organization to be able to do X. This is if we had thought leadership at different levels of our organization, what better differentiations and thoughts would lead out of X. This is if we had a brain trust or a war room session with various voices and not just one representative of one race or one situation or one who has an ableist lens or whatever have you. Um, if we had a continuous cacophony, it's my new favorite word, uh, of voices um, that aid and assist in getting from point A to point B, what good could happen? What new could be developed because of that? And I think that, especially now in times of crisis, fear makes people do interesting things. I say that both as an HR leader and as a person, uh, especially in this work, it's very interesting to um, <laughs> pin the tail on the BS. Uh, as I say to my clients early and often, um, because when people are not comfortable with the way things are going um, in life, as it is in business, um, people stick to what they know. <laughs> it's easy, right? I can replicate X because I know X, I can do X. Um, and in these spaces, especially where there is such fear and there is such uh, an aversion to things that are new because things are changing every day. The desire to stick to what is known is something that happens a lot. And in that desire to stick to the things that are known, 
there's a very non-inclusive lens that is attached to that. Um, and so by virtue of now being what now is and knowing what fear has created and will create and also understanding that we're also dealing with a very difficult time um, in COVID. We've never had this type of rampant global disruption in our lifetime. Um, even if we're gonna look back to the very large plagues and flus of yesteryear, like real yesteryear, like 1800s yesteryear, like none of us were around yesteryear. Um, disruption on a global scale is something that is a very different thing. Um, and I also think that in the space of having this conversation, it's really important to bring that up as well. Um, catastrophic events, beginning, middle, end. Hurricanes, monsoons, tornadoes. They begin, they end, they're in one place. It becomes much easier to segment something when you aren't necessarily being affected by it. This situation is one that is affecting everyone. And this situation is one that is affecting certain individuals that identify differently, even more harshly than others. Um, so there is shared pain, but even in that shared pain, there is the need to understand um, that intersectionality, um, that peace, the ability to conceptualize a person or, or a group of people um, that are affected by a number of disadvantages and potential discriminations and taking into account people's overlapping identities and experiences to understand at the root the complexity of that person's lived experience, um, I think is one that becomes even more important in the space of DEI, that second eye, that intersectionality to ensure that that work is being done. Um, psychological safety is something that has been brought up both by Ashanti and by Gwen, um, especially now. Um, there are a lot of individuals that look like myself that do not feel safe, period not in life, not at work. There are people that look like myself that feel expendable and we have to still function, right? And what the, the bar is, is not sympathizing, mm. right? Because that's easy. And empathy is also kind of scratching the surface of that but it's ultimately being able to do the work in the space of allyship to ensure that you're crafting a safe space for those for whom a lived experience might not be shared by you. That's the work that needs to be done in order to ensure that you're getting the very best vote out of your people and out of your organizations. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Whew. Okay. Um, I'll let that one sit for a moment. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. <laughs> uh, so with that, I'm going to change my question. With that being said, on the heels of what, what Jen just said, Gwendolyn, what can folks expect now? In the workplace? Anywhere? <laughs> workplace, and it could, because it's all interconnected, right? And so... If you could possibly do a micro, meso, macro breakdown, like what can folks expect, like quickly, what can folks, you know, just 
quickly. It's fine. Um, <laughs> folks expect, like, you know, in the workplace, what you may see in the world, what you may be seeing from Bridges, um, just kind of based on the framing that Jen gave. Yeah. Well, Jen gave a lot, so I'm going to say what, what I can expect and what I've seen, right? So I, it, first, in the workplace, what we've seen and what we're seeing are people that, you know, we talk about essential workers and people on the front line. Um, and then we talk about the folks that have the privilege to be able to work remotely, right? So that there's, and in that, there's a lot of decisions being made. They're making family decisions, they're making sacrifices. Managers are actually, if they're not asking the right questions, making judgments about leadership, who's a leader, who's giving it their all, you know, and they may not know all the nuances of the caregiving that's necessary in the household. They may not know what remote access someone has, what resources, what Wi-Fi they have, you know, all of these things they may not know and people may appear differently than how um, they actually, what they're actually putting in or what they're able to put in or what they can put in. So I really am seeing that managers need a whole new set of questions, right? They need a whole set of, a new set of coaching questions. They need a whole set of questions of what do you need? How are you able to do this work in this time? And again, with that color brave lens, if I'm looking at a, a caregiver, a mother, I'm looking at, you know, a child that's caregiving for an elder, um, all of these different things, but the managers need different questions right now. Otherwise you're missing the mark. So that's one, and that's one thing that I'm seeing is that there wasn't because as Jen put this in historical context, this doesn't happen all the time. So there wasn't actually a hand, a section in the handbook of how to do this. This wasn't actually in professional developments coaching. So people are scrambling to get to support their managers. Um, and what I'm seeing is that people are getting more and more disconnected. So even whatever space they were in on a continuum of developing organizational culture, that got sort of bombed, right? It just sort of got blown up like a grenade got thrown in. So some, again, some folks that have um, either, whatever resources they have, they can like recreate that, right? Whether people have done cocktail hours, coffee hours, where they picked up the phone. Um, but in my experience in the last two months, I've seen even the, the highest level leaders say, I'm at a loss now because I don't have those drive-by conversations. I don't have those water cooler conversations. So then, like Jen said, people go back to what they know. So then it, it, people end up partitioning in their affinity groups. Like the white male leaders are speaking over here, right? And then we've lost some of that culture building that we had done. And you, the managers and supervisors and the leaders of an organization need to create those spaces. They need to intentionally create the spaces to build culture and to continually make sure there's access and communication pathways. So that's, those are some of the things that I, people can expect and what I've been seeing in the last um, couple weeks. Um, we can also expect that people's emotional roller coaster, and I'm preaching to the choir here because your background is, is mental health, <laughs> but um, people have different capacities to respond to stress and trauma. We are in traumatic times. And so people may rise to the occasion on that adrenaline in the beginning and then peter out what it seems like things are getting back to quote unquote normal or settling in, right? And so, and some people immediately freeze and go like, I can't handle this, right? And then they're saying, oh, they're not a leader, they went away, right? Like, so we, we need to really watch how we're judging people, right? And really watch people's, um, how we take care of ourselves and each other and watch because that's really important because I, I'm hearing and seeing people um, make decisions around, around people and their capacity based on limited information. 
based on what I just said. Um, and so those are some of the things that I'm seeing in the workplace and what Bridge is trying to do is support uh, filling in some of those gaps. So like individual coaching sessions with whether it's even, um, and one thing that we saw immediately, which is one of the reasons New Pathways was born that I feel like we have to name in the session is that when people were getting laid off and furloughing, the most vulnerable people were people of color. And actually most of Bridges connection, mm -hmm. like you know, when I say we do this equity inclusion work, at that point we've created cultural advisory teams, we've created um, equity inclusion task forces, we've created all these things. And most of those people, I wanna say from Bridges vantage point, 80% of those people were laid off within the first week of quarantine. So you can do the math in your head. I was a math major first, right? But when you think about people of color, the people that are carrying the work in an organization, all of those people got displaced first. And, and um, I love Dr. Kim, who I'm just going to channel for a second from People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. She calls it snow caps, right? So the people that their jobs were preserved the most were the snow caps, right? The people, the white people in leadership. So no matter how much diversity you may have achieved trickling out through an organization, when push came to shove and you had to shrink down, white people's jobs were preserved, right? For whatever reasons it was, it wasn't overt racism, like get the uh, people of color, people with disabilities out, but that's what happened, right? So that, you know, so that that is something that, I've been saying, okay, so with whatever white leaders are there, this conversation needs to be at every staff meeting, every table until it gets fixed, until it gets repaired and restored. And notice what does this say about our next business plan, our reopening plan, what are our priorities gonna be? How are we gonna fix this? So those are some of the things, I mean, I'm seeing lots of things and we can expect lots of things, but that's some. That yes. Um, you actually went right into my next question, um, which is what would you recommend? Because everyone on here is, has some level of leadership, right? Um, and I don't necessarily always think leadership is just by title. Leadership can be by title and influence. And so everyone on here has some form of leadership. And so, Gwendolyn, you already started to go into what are some recommendations, you know, that you would have for those in leadership as you're engaging your teams right now and what that looks like. So thank you for just naturally flowing into that next piece of it. Um, Jen, I invite you to add any recommendations you may want to include that um, that you need to make, that leadership needs to be taking into account and, and executing during this time. Sure, I, 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 think, I think that it is also necessary to state that especially in this time of COVID along with people of color being impacted um, disproportionately, women are being impacted disproportionately. Um, and in this downturn now, I think one, if you had 10 jobs, six of them out of every 10 are impacting women, as opposed to what was happening in 2008, um, where if you did the math, more men were being impacted um, by virtue of the industries that were being hit and hit the hardest. Um, that being said, I think that it is imperative as businesses begin to reinstate both the ways in which their new work schedules are going to work um, and how individuals are going to be managing what is given to them. It is important to ask what am I assuming as a leader? 
what am I assuming? For any and all decisions that are being made based on the fact that everyone carries bias, you as well as I, there are certain things that you will assume in the space of work. And especially now it is imperative that everyone at very least take a look at what they believe to be true to ensure that those truisms are actually true for individuals who do not look and operate in the ways that you do. And 10 times out of 10, <laughs> there will always be a decision that will directly impact someone who does not look like you differently than it would impact you. If nothing else, it is a really good exercise to have an understanding of how things land differently for different individuals. Um, I will utilize the example um, of return to work that I am seeing come up more and more um, with my clients, especially as we in New York City begin to understand what the coming months mean, whether or not it means going to work in person or having your children attend school in person, so on and so forth. Um, had a conversation with a leader who is appropriately concerned, but very much focused on getting back to work which is most leaders, right? Um, again, in the space of fear, clarity comes and the things that are solid and standard. Work is one of those things. I am afraid, but guess what you can't do? Can't outwork me. I'm gonna work like work has no tomorrow because work makes sense. And so I'm gonna focus on working because that is the one thing I can control. That's a trap, everyone. It's a big one. Um, and it's one that's going to come up more and more. You can't outwork COVID. <laughs> you you cannot work disruption. You can try, uh, but pandemics don't work that way. Just going to throw that out there. It's not how they actually operate. Um, it's just not. Sorry uh, if you thought you could outwork COVID. <laughs> COVID's laughing. Uh, it has a very crap sense of humor. Um, but I digress. Um, having a conversation <laughs> with this leader. Um, who, you know, appropriately concerned having a conversation about the ways in which the office needs to change and the ways in which there needs to be some level of empathy and safety that is presented to the employees so that they feel good to come back. Um, and the statement was, well, okay, once we get that done, we should be all good to go. And I was like, hey, see, here's the thing. Uh, you, sir, who commutes in and out of Connecticut every day to do your job in New York City, there's this thing called the MTA. Um, I speak for myself and only myself as one of those rare individuals in New York who has a vehicle and looks at the train uh, longingly, uh, not really, um, but I look at it because it is there and I have the option to get in my car and not do that. Um, for those who haven't been following in NYC, the MTA has been decimated both by the ways in which COVID has ravaged um, train conductors and those who are responsible for making trains go, especially in train yards, but also there is now a fear around getting on the train. How do most people in New York City navigate on VMTA? So there's one thing to have a thought process around making sure that your workspaces are safe and that individuals feel good going into them and doing that work, but the buck doesn't stop there. Again, we're thinking whole people, not I can drive into and out of work every day. That is most people's non-experience. And so I asked him, so what assumptions are you making? 
He's like, I'm not making any assumptions. I was like, all right, I'm going to stop you there. You were assuming that everyone can drive into and out of work comfortably. You are assuming that we are talking about a Metro Transit Authority system that works and works well at peak performance. Um, when we know that to not be true, even before COVID occurred. Um, and again, it's a rolling hill of occurrence. Um, you're also not taking into consideration the fact that there's probably going to be less by way of trains for more by way of people having to travel. You're not thinking about travel time. You're not thinking about stress of being near individuals who may or may not have masks. You're not thinking about the potential of those individuals getting on the trains and then feeling afraid to go home and potentially giving that to their children or their elders or their spouses and, 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 and it's like a light bulb went off. Right. Um, and I say that to say the need to think about how decisions are going to impact individuals outside of the individuals who are making those decisions will continue to be important work. But especially now, the thought around how a business is implementing a thing, a procedure, a policy, um, without having an intersectional lens. Mm -hmm. um, and I said this in my speech as well as a difference between success and failure. Um, COVID karma is real. And I say this to everyone on this call, everyone is making a decision about your business and how well you've done or how poorly you've done or how you treat people or how you didn't treat people or how you made yourself differentiated from others or you stayed silent. Everyone is having those thoughts, some more loudly than others, but ultimately it will have an impact on your business going forward. People are paying attention and you want to ensure that they're paying the right kind of attention. Mm. Thank you. So I um, want to do something a little bit different this time uh, because of the topic that, that we are talking about and the heaviness of it and the necessity to get it right. I'll just, I will say that the necessity to get it right. And this is one of the few areas where we can't, we have to get this right. And we know how to, some things we have to try and get right. We have no idea. We're just figuring it out as we go, but we know how to get this right. Um, and considering who's on the call right now, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to invite the, the group, the community here to ask questions, uh, for a little bit before we go into our breakthrough sessions. And so, for a couple of reasons. One, the introverted versus extrovert. It'll be a little bit easier if everyone is writing their questions in the chat. And for those of you who may not want everyone to know what your question is, you have two options. You can either send the question to the group. If you look over in the chat, um, if you click on the little blue button, it'll say everyone and your question can go to everyone. Or if you don't want everyone to know your question, which is perfectly fine, you can scroll down, find my name and send me your question directly and I will ask the question of the group um, or to the group uh, for uh, Gwendolyn and Jen to respond to. And so because you all are all steeped in this work in some kind of way, I think there's a, a good opportunity now for y'all to just ask some very real questions of two experts in this work. And so we are going to give some moments to do that. Instead, this is what happens, uh, Gwendolyn, when you're on a panel. I just changed the strategy. Uh. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, 
um, if you have a question, please, you can either send it to the group. I'm also doing that so everyone doesn't start talking at once and you save all those beautiful words uh, for your breakthrough sessions. So if you have a question, you can either put it to everyone in the group or if you want to send it to me directly because you would just, you know, you want to have that autonomy, that is also perfectly fine. No one will know except for me who the question has come from. Um, and then we will share some of those. I may not get to all of the questions now. I'm going to state that in the beginning. And any questions we don't get to, when you get your recap notes, we'll make sure Jen and Gwendolyn have responded to it in the recap notes that you can then bring to the Action Lab Saturday afternoon. And it's kind of plug that in there. Come back to the Action Lab to get the answers. Um, so I will take a beat. I wish I had some music to play right now, uh, but for people who need a little bit more of a moment to sit with their questions, why well, I didn't ask this in the beginning, so you wouldn't be thinking of questions while people were talking. Um, so you would actually be in the moment and listening. And so we're gonna take about two minutes now. Um, I would like for everyone to turn their cameras off. Do not leave the session. Just turn your camera off for two minutes. I will say something when it's time for you to come back so you can be thinking about what your questions might look like. Jen, uh, Wendelin, y'all don't turn your cameras off. <laughs> oh, okay, I listen. You saw me. I was like, right. okay. Um, so you'll have about- I, I heard a directive. There was a directive. Okay. okay. Um, but not. Yes, if you, have, if you have a question, be, be thinking through that. Through that now, you have two minutes starting now. I want people, there's something we talk about at Bridge, it's called courageous authenticity. You all took your morning to be here with us. Be courageous and ask a question. This is the time. You've got to have some questions. I have, I have a million questions. I'm happy to be here listening to Jen. I, I really want someone to be courageous. Do it privately to Ashante or put it out for all of us to see, but use your time wisely and use this access wisely. Courageous authenticity. I jokingly, uh, I'm so sorry, Gwen. Um, I, I jokingly will always start my drain trust sessions um, with hi, I'm black. Um, <laughs> like it's one of those, like, obviously I am, but sometimes you need uh, a reminder. <laughs> like, don't change your TV, I'm black. And um, I am in this space and I would much rather you ask now as opposed to assume and potentially not necessarily get it right or feel some level of discomfort that you might not be asking the right thing in the right way. Um, you have an amazing cadre of dynamic women who are black on the Zoom call right now. You should ask us the things, all of the things. Okay. And then don't ask, because don't ask your friend when you get off the call. That's the other thing. We signed up to do this today. Please so. don't. Right Please here. don't. Please don't. Yeah. Emotional labor of people of color is one of those things that is in short supply right now. Utilize it when it is open and in front of you. 
and stop making black people your Google. Oh, Thank you. Right. That yep. is my PSA for me. Everyone oh. bring <laughs> back up. Or, yeah, your videos back on. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to do this from, actually, no, I'm going to practice the power of agency. Is there a particular question that jumps out to you, Jen, or you, Gwendolyn? Because uh -uh. <laughs> I was about to, to go in it a certain I see how you did that. <laughs> I, I see what you did. Gonna, you, gonna you, did there. you were like, no, I'm not going to choose. You are going to choose. Um, I, the, the, first of all, these questions, um, they're wonderful. I think they, they, they are just very good. So thank you all. Um, I think the one question that jumped out at me first, um, from Natalie, what strategies can we be using, using to support black colleagues, especially this week and others, especially considering many are working fully remote without the benefit of seeing people's physical being and having a formal water cooler. I try to dismantle white supremacy work culture in what I do and consistently try to set collective expectations and remind everyone to take time for themselves and only do what feels possible for whatever, but I often wonder if there are better techniques to take. Um, Natalie, thank you so much for your question. I also wanna be clear in this space. This question is so important um, because it elucidates the need to be able to see a full person. Um, as is the case in many experiences for Black people, um, there is an understanding that there are certain things that are acceptable and there are certain things that are not. The reason why I keep parroting and championing the whole bring your entire personhood to work uh, is that something that Black people usually aren't able to do, right? Um, which is why I began today the way in which I began it. Um, I can appear to be completely okay, as is my standard, as is the way in which I do work, and feel both psychologically unsafe and be in places that are deemed toxic, but they're what has to happen for my life to work, for work to work. I think, especially now, the biggest strategies that can be used to support your Black colleagues is having conversations with your white ones. Uh, the work of dismantling generally uh, and genuinely usually falls on Black people, and this is not our problem. <laughs> um, and I cannot say that loudly enough. Um, the system that needs to be dismantled is one that thrives off power and privilege and whiteness, either perceived or actual. And so the ways in which to aid and assist those and be a true ally to those individuals who are Black, who are having a really difficult week, um, is with the acknowledgement that that is, without the overt presumption that things are. Um, I can't tell you how many well-meaning people have come up to me and be like, man, it's so hard. What? What is hard? I mean, you're black. Yes, yes, I am. This has been a hard week. Person not of color, this is not your conversation to begin in that manner. Um, yes, it is hard, but the assumption that things land with everyone the exact same way 
is a one thing that very well-meaning individuals do to try and ensure that there is a level of empathy that they are giving to others, which is actually supremely disruptive. The best way to acknowledge people and to support your Black colleagues is to go, I have been paying attention to what is going on. I do not know in what ways this is affecting you, but I want you to know that I am here. And then you do this thing, you shut up. It is amazing, everyone. The things that happen when you engage someone with the statement and then you say nothing else. It is brilliant what this does is it provides an opportunity for someone who is experiencing something to say a thing. I am feeling X, or I do not want to have this conversation with you, or how thoughtful, or nothing at all. And again, your strategy should be in line with ensuring that you are seeing another person, not getting points and trying to make yourself feel better, okay? In essence, if you're going to aid and assist and support, you actually have to be that support. It cannot be performative allyship. There's already too much of that out there. Um, but really, if you want to do that, ask individuals how you can aid in the system and then have conversations with those who are non-minorities to aid the system in understanding that the work, this work, um, and a lot of the stressors and challenges and triggers, they are happening to Black people, but they are not the responsibility of Black people to change or to fix. Thank you, Jen. Uh, Gwendolyn, do you have one? I see a couple that I want to make sure I, I bring in, and there are a couple in the privately to me, so I want to make sure I'm being equitable and bringing one or two of those in. So. Yeah, I can, I can combine a couple, <clears throat> and actually I think I could be brief on this one because I said a lot of it before but um the like Ari and I can't remember now I think um Ari and Katya um how do you hold I see those questions as similar it's like what do you do like how do you hold people accountable to caring for this work and I think there's a few ways one is find your you, no one can be a lone ranger in this work right because you get targeted and you get pinholed so find people in your organization at all levels that care about the work and then come up with what you think is the first step, like what would be the first game changer, right? So first time I know Karen's asking like, how do I make sure that we make this a professional development? It is a really good idea to have cultural competence a part of everybody's onboarding. Like there shouldn't be an organization. Um, there shouldn't actually be a degree given in education, right? If there's not a component of cultural competence. So make sure that that is a priority and that everybody knows that at the start, whether it's at the interview, whether it's at the start of a project or a program. So I think that when that becomes a priority, you've opened up the conversation and you've set expectations. So I think that that's one way. And another is then go to your policies and procedures, right? We've talked about that. So what, you know, um, a couple times in some of these school committee re responses that we've been involved in, uh, we've had to hold school committee members responsible. We've made sure that the questions for uh, incoming superintendents, how are you going 
to think about equity and inclusion. Have it be a question that's a part of every interview process. And if someone can't answer that question, it may not be the person you want. If they ace everything else, then send them off to boot camp before they start working. But make it that it's a, a, an actual requirement of a job to have capacity to think about diversity, equity, inclusion. And so you start shifting the culture by who you hire and the questions you ask. And positive psych and appreciative inquiry, just asking the question is actually work. You may not have the answer, but putting the question out there is, is forcing people to do some work. I've met, when we were finally integrated into how resources would be um, given out in the community after some of us were knocking on doors and making phone calls, right, Shirley, we finally started getting integrated back in. And it was like, okay, so ask people how they address diverse communities. Ask people what communities they missed. Who was helping you make the decisions about where the COVID-19 money was going? Maybe you should have talked to X, Y, and Z. Here's a list of 35 people that would fit bringing some diversity into your group. So like, make sure that people are doing that first bit of work, right? And I talked earlier about, you can't really bring more people in until you've done some of that work because you cause exponential harm. You cause harm on the person that's supposed to carry this workload Jen was talking about for all people. You know, you cause more harm on all the other people that have been there all along that say, see, this particular group can't make it. You just keep trying and they can't make it, right? So you end up reinforcing global cultural attitudes that are harmful, right? And then you don't actually get the work done. So you lose resources as a company. You lose, you, do you understand? It just keeps, you know, it's just poor practice. It's not, it's just you're keeping institutions of white supremacy in place. So those are just some of the, some thoughts. Um, so that, thank you for both of those. This, this particular question is giving a, um, like a real life example of what y'all are talking about. Like, how do we, how do we actually make that real? Right? So someone says they're starting a new initiative organization. What steps and strategies do they need to take right now to ensure that they're not, to ensure that they are incorporating the concepts of idea as they begin, um, as they begin the work and not marginalize anyone. So they haven't even started yet. So what, what are they putting? That's like, that's great, right? When you haven't started, you have no excuse. <laughs> There's yeah. no excuse. Don't yeah. get started until you get the right Everything on the table. <laughs> yeah. say, that, say that again, Gwendolyn. Don't get started until you get the right people at the table advising you. Um, decide who you want to be leading. I mean, you just, you're, you're good. Like you're in the best position ever. So you have no excuse at this point. Um, I, I <laughs> find a diverse perspectives. If it's someone that you've done every project with, say, I love you, but I'm going to go look over here right now. Because otherwise, you just keep recreating the same stuff and you keep reinforcing the same biases because you all think alike. You've been doing this work together on 15 projects. You've been on all these boards together. Start finding different people because otherwise, you're just reinforcing your reality. I, I like to t use this example of where um, egocentric and sociocentric people. So what we do as human animals is we recreate our reality all the time to make us right, right? So you find the people that affirm your thoughts and your beliefs without thinking. It is muscle and like going into a gym to train, to find diverse perspectives and to integrate them in. It's not going to happen by intention, dreaming, you know, it's by actual getting up and doing the actual work on a regular basis, practice a daily practice. So, I, I, I mean, and also it didn't come up in this session. It's funny how things get partitioned. 
there are those of us that do this work and that have signed up to do it. Don't assume because you've been to a lab, you've been to a training, um, you were born of a certain race or identity that you're equipped to do this work on that level. So put the resources behind hiring the people that have learned the skills to do this work. Those other folks can be your trusted advisors and they should be at the table in many ways, but they're also, <laughs> it takes a lot. I mean, Shirley can tell you about her life experience. I can tell you about my life and professional, both of us are professional certifications and experience. Jen and Ashanti, there's so much that goes into being able to do this work. Don't just say, I'm gonna find Chris the science teacher and he's gonna lead my equity inclusion work. Chris decided to be a science professor, not you know, an equity inclusion lead. Does that make sense to you all? So you have to pay for it. You have to put resources in and pay for that work too. Okay. Sorry. No, Sorry. we needed that. I'm also looking at the time. So I'm <laughs> gonna do one more. Um, I'm gonna do one more question and then we're gonna 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 trust y'all and we're gonna we're gonna take a turn at having AJ ask a a question to the group because we did this in another session aj remembers when i had everyone in the group share a thing aj we don't do this in every session okay <laughs> <laughs> we change it up thanks um sharing all the secrets but hold on i'm gonna do one other question before we get into that one okay um, and i'm going to combine two of them um because it's this this particular questions or these two questions are a bit are about power dynamics right um so katya asks it's katya right Katya, okay, got it. Um, ask how can leaders create space and opportunities to encourage employees not in leadership positions or titles not to stay silent and to genuinely share their concerns? Staff in non-leadership positions and titles often feel like they're not in the position to share these concerns, which is so true, right? And so how, so that first asking the question, um, so how can leaders create that space? And if no one is saying anything to you, that's saying something. So can y'all speak to that a little bit and then, the other question is part of Ari's question, how can employees hold their employers accountable for not treating other employees with care? So how can folks outside the organization support and encourage accountability from leadership? That goes into more of the, the accomplishment piece, but the parts of their two questions really speak to power dynamic. And so can you all share a little bit um, from how can leaders create space for, for those in non-leadership titles to, to have a say in this? And then how can employees, if that's not happening, how can employees hold their employers accountable, hold their employers accountable and how can they access outside resources to shift those power dynamics? So, uh, when, Shantae, you, you know me. Um, <laughs> and there are times I will ask. Question, you have two minutes. Uh -oh. <laughs> yes, I, I, I am asking uh, which version of Jennifer needs to answer uh, this question. Um, um, because there's the very... You asked everyone to come with their full honest self, and this was a safe space. And so I asked for the very honest Jennifer to share the Jen... I need Jen right now, but I need Jen to do it in two minutes. Because I also... <laughs> cool. So thanks. First question, which will dovetail into the second question. Um, I'm gonna answer a question with an antidote. Culture is behavioral, right? Um, the behaviors that companies champion and the behaviors that companies work hard to extinguish. 
in the space where you are working towards ensuring that leadership understands their role and position and ensuring that there's a level of DEI and also ensuring that there is support for those who don't necessarily have a leadership title, I will always start with culture. I have been in cultures where the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion has been championed, as in the work, as in we do this work. But then in actual practice, not only is it not upheld, um, but those who speak to any deficiencies or fissures within that um, find themselves either ostracized or having been dumped upon with the responsibility of getting the work done. And again, these kinds of efforts don't work unless they are inculcated inside of culture, which is why I started with a cultural lens and cultural being behavior. Um, the real answer is time and patience. If you are dealing with an individual leader or leadership that does not necessarily see the need to do work that is going to assert a level of DEI care for both individuals who are currently present, as well as those who are looking towards coming into the organization. Um, from an HR perspective, the best way to get something done is to look at a pain point and break it wide open. And I know that to be true, both with my HR training as well as with my DEI training. Um, knowing that I have to come across two different layers to get things done. Uh, so from the lens of culture and getting leaders to do things that can aid and assist those um, who are diverse, it's a question, what do you wanna be known for? And it's a question that takes most leaders off guard. What do you mean? I have a business. Yes, but you, the leader, you, the organization, you, the figurehead, what do you wanna be known for? And it speaks very much as well to conversations that are happening, happening rather with or without the interactions of leadership. What do you want to be known for? I'll always ask leaders that question. And how it doesn't take very much to be someone that is seen as an ally, that is seen as a driver, that is seen as someone who wants to move this work and this space forward. Because the accolades are numerous. My God, we get so much mileage out of talking about DEI. Uh, it's a wonder that we haven't fixed it yet. Huh, that's my sarcasm. But I digress. Um, the, the conversation is a powerful one. And so it is holding them accountable and asking them that question. And then for the, the individuals who are not necessarily leaders who want to be able to do more, I also look at the culture as well. Are you in a culture that's safe and supportive? Are you in a culture that would be open to new ideas and accepting new norms? And how much work is it going to take you to be that person who becomes that driver for that? Because if it's a solo mission, it takes a lot out of you. And this is me also seeing the person mm -hmm. along with the mission. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's heavy work. It's heavy work. Okay. That was like three and a half minutes. I'm sorry. I know you. Um, <laughs> Gwendolyn, how do you, how do you impact, what do you do with those power dynamics? And Jen spoke more of the leadership, like how leaders need to show up. What about people who aren't in leadership? Um, and so I want to hear both from like, what can they be doing? And then what can people here 
as allies and accomplices and, you know, co-conspirators be probing and asking folks where they know they don't have power. Yeah. I mean, I, I always say the first thing is really you have to assess like your your status and what you what assets you have and what you're willing to give up. I mean, you have to be really honest about that, right? I make a decision every day. Am I going to take it? Am I going to take that ticket and 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 confront it, or I'm going to let it go? Because you can't always be doing this work if you're the one that doesn't have the power, right? You have to be smart and intentional about when you do that work. And again, I'm going to say, and you need allies and accomplices for it. You put yourself out there alone. It's really easy for someone to target you. Um, so I, I, I really, I think I said it earlier, I'm repeating it, find your posse, find your cohort of people that can support you because you need it. I can't tell you how many times, I mean, I'm just going to use Bridge as an example. We created, we have a board, we have an advisory board and we have a task force and all these things. We had to create in our governance model an, an accountability board. The people that I know that I can call and say, this person is not hearing me. This person's talking over me. Bridge just made this step forward, so all these people are going to come in and try to, you know, because it's like we're getting too much momentum. I We literally have an accountability structure that we, Ari and AJ, have been my allies and accomplices in getting this to become a part of the way Bridge is governed, whether I'm there or not, because that's what's required. And those people commit to showing up on a weekly basis, educating themselves, responding to calls, and, and doing one-on-ones. And I, that is what, after 12 years, I feel like has been my best strategy and my best um, tool and resource I could set up for myself, who's constantly pushing against structures. New Pathways is pushing against my best clients, my best supporters, my best donors. I mean, I'm calling you in, you know that that's how I approach work, right? I'm inviting everybody to come in and be in the work, but re- New Pathways is a response to my experience of being put on the shelf. And that meaning that the priorities that Bridge holds being also put on the shelf, right? So I feel like I'm embodying, in, even in this new pathways process, what the best strategies are. When you feel like you don't have the power access that you have, find the people that do, invite them in, and find the ones that are really courageous enough to do the work. So, um, and, and doing it, I, I really believe doing it lovingly. People get in these modes of like, I don't care about your feelings if you're white or privileged. I do. I actually want to know that you're human. I actually want to know that you feel it and that you see it. And like you've been saying, every lab, Ashanti, say if you don't know, right? So I'm asking people to trust me enough to say, I actually don't know what to do here, instead of t- judging whether I'm doing it right, right? <laughs> say, I don't really know, you know? And I think that, that that's asking people to do a lot. I'm asking people to make a life shift into, into the work. But those, those are my, um, my advice is find those people that are willing to make those commitments. Thank you both. I, I will take off the moderating hat briefly um, and just add to that. Those of us that, and then kind of bringing something that both Jen and um, Gwendolyn said earlier, and I started to speak to it a moment ago, we know those areas and those organizations where some people may not have as much power. And so doing the work and whatever privilege you have, go to that leadership and ask them, hey, what are you doing to make to ensure the health and the well-being of this or that community? You only have to go to the staff, like go to the managers and the leaders and the directors and go talk to the other, you know, the the people in those spaces that you are a peer with, peer with in that way. And just start asking them the questions and start holding them accountable where you know the organization, the the frontline staff are not going to have the space or the agency or the capacity to raise those questions. 
you go to that leadership and raise those questions because y'all know what's happening in Berkshires. You know where which organizations are going to be doing it and some that aren't. Everyone talks. We know what we know what that looks like. Um, so y'all start doing that in real time with folks where you know that the the staff are not going to face to have those conversations or just check in with everybody. It could be like just ask everybody, what are you doing? And if there's a mm, that's not a real answer, dive in deeper on that. Um, and so now we're going to have AJ ask this question to the group. This is the first time someone else is asking a question of the group. And so <laughs> here's how we will do this for extroverted introvert people. Um, when once AJ asks this question, do not just jump in and start talking. Please raise your hand. I will go with, from screen to screen and call on people to speak. Now, I am going to preface it with this. Some of you I have seen in many, many sessions, and so I may not call on you specifically in this one if there is a new voice that needs to come into the room for the conversation. It does not mean I do not appreciate what you are saying. If you do not get called on, put it in the chat and or come back to the Action Lab to share it then. Do y'all see that? We're doing that. Okay. So, AJ, ask your question and make sure I can get everybody's image in here. Okay, here we go. AJ, go ahead, ask your question, and then if you have a response, raise your hand. If, you're, if it's just your image and not your face, if you can just put that in the uh, chat, I'll, I'll be working both. All right, well, thank you again. Um, at the risk of starting a chain reaction, here goes. Um, so the good news is our office is working on creating a um, office under Division of Labor Standards, so folks can uh, create, can push push for whistleblowers uh, and implement those. So that's something that could be helpful for you all down the road, because I know you had other accountability questions and concerns for employees. But my question to the group is, um, I can see, I anticipate that um, capping will be used as rationale for letting go people of color, black people in the workplace. And so, you know, you're implementing guidelines for safety and social distancing, but who is the first to go? And I know anecdotally, um, black people and people of color have been the first to be let go, but I don't have that information um, as an empirical report that can be used to implement guidelines. And so my question to the group is how can we best um, hold businesses and employers accountable given um, the current pandemic circumstance, which is capping and that being used as, as rationale. I'm, do you all follow the question? Everyone got the question? Just thumbs up? Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. So how can we be proactive right now? Um, so we're going to pause for a moment. No, Jen. <laughs> we're going to pause for a moment. I think we've been silent. Extroverted people to let it sink in. <laughs> um, and then we, we will sit. It's okay, Jen. You have it. I, I didn't want to answer. I just wanted to say a thing. <laughs> mm -mm. We're going to wait. Wait. Mar Maria, did you have? All right. Does anyone want to respond to that question? The heavy question. Other than Jen. Okay, I'll speak. <laughs> I, I think, AJ, 
you know, this is what I, I wake up in the middle of the night going, if I just had data, you know, if I just had local data to show across the board in every category, if we had local data, I feel like we could be making much more impactful um, communication. So good luck. <laughs> So how do we, so I'm going to, I'm going to press in a little bit. It's, it's Maria or Marie? It's Marie. Marie. Okay. Well, that's, that's actually, and this is, it's, I'm bringing it to you because you brought the, you brought this into the room. So yeah. I'm asking you is also what I'm asking to the group, right? So let me also preface with that. Um, I agree. There needs to be data and um, the, the problem with just relying on the data is we have to collect all the data. And as we're collecting the data, the damage is being done right? And so then we're doing the work after the fact. So how do we both get the data? Like, how are we doing parallel processes? So I think there needs to be data for the po folks that like, just give me the numbers. I just need the numbers. I don't care about stories. Give me the numbers. We have the, the, the data, right? But we also need to be, what are the stories and experiences? And those need to have equal weight because what often happens with people who are most impacted, they have to be, they have to be super hurt to prove that they are worthy of empathy and need and support. And when we just rely on the data, I have to like come to you with a severed arm. You'd be like, no, 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 this is happening in real time. And so I agree there absolutely needs, someone did a, said something about a county report. So I agree there needs to be data, but as you are creating the data plan, how are we batching data, like working on the data and collecting stories and just believing people in real time as they're saying a thing, right? So the data is both helpful for the long term. Um, and what can we be doing right now? So thank you for bringing that into the room because I do believe it is a it is a both and and we need all those pieces. I um, I, I guess um, I you know I work for public media um, and um, I I I haven't gotten to work with you enough, Gwendolyn. But you know when I do work, I like like you. We reach out to partners and if we can tell a story, mm -hmm. data tells a story. You know, we can talk about, you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, Jelani Cobb came and spoke at the public forum and there was a lot of work in Greater Springfield around um, with healing racism. And they had these great data points about national things. And, it, and I kept thinking to myself, I wish I had the local, so it's a story. So I, I get your point. Um, and, and the part that's still going to float around in my head all day now is the part that we hurt people by collecting data. I'm going to be thinking about that. But I, I keep thinking, maybe I just want a shortcut. Maybe I think if we could find the data that shows, here's the numbers of cases that came in. I don't know. I just feel like if we had the numbers, it would be easier to tell the story that, or maybe I just have an un founded belief in data or the potential for rationality so I think it can all be true I think data is necessary and right it's what you're saying is not incorrect it's just incomplete and in all the different things we're going to need so I think it's a, a, ne a necessity and and um, which doesn't help AJ sorry AJ yeah. <laughs> all this would be relevant for policy making and that's really what I'm asking for I want this in our manuals across the Commonwealth and, and across the United States, obviously, but that's the intention here. Um, so we'll do, Jen, you just had your, I saw two other hands. Jen, you had your hand raised. I know you wanted to speak to that piece really quick. Hold on, let me, while you're going, I'll switch to the other screen. 
so I also do a lot of extensive work on data um, and algorithmic violence. That's another conversation for another mm. day. Um, but I think, snaps, um, but in, in space of what you've asked, AJ, I think an easy answer, and I want to be very clear, data does exactly what you want it to do. If I have a narrative that's negative, I can underscore it with data. If I have a narrative that's positive, I can also underscore it with the same data. All it takes is a practitioner of data who can cherry pick and then present. That is all data does. It further underscores a point, whether positive or negative, so that people can move to one side or the other. From a numbers perspective, and I say this purely from an HR perspective, this is why EEO1 reporting is so important for those who are not aware of EEO reporting. Um, the EEO, um, the Equal Opportunity Employment Office, um, every year mandates that businesses over 50 people have to send a breakdown of individuals both by race, by gender, number, what roles and positions they play, so on and so forth. Now, that being said, that is something that is standard for 50 and above. Um, and that reporting has been pushed off until 2021 due to COVID. But these numbers are things that should still be being generated, whether there is a specific HRS you use, or if there is someone who is just collecting that data. And I say this for individuals who are both in a larger group as well as in a smaller one. And understanding that you need to understand your data before you move forward with making any of these decisions is imperative and will play a very large role in how your organization moves going forward. So the data is indeed there. And for those who are looking for current data, I think the best thing to do is to look back, to look at your EEO figures from 2019, quite honestly, um, if you have reported. If not, it's as easy as whatever HRS system you're using or eyeballing, which is what happens in the EEO when people decide to not self-identify, right? Um, what individuals seem to look like. Again, this is very complex and heavy work. I would never minimize the ability to understand and regard someone's diversity with an eyeball and a thought, but in the space of being able to move this work forward, it's imperative for you to at least have some understanding. And then building on top of that to ensure that there is a level of equity and intersectionality in your work. Because if your numbers look worse than your numbers did from 2019, especially as your organization is expanding and then contracting again, not only do you run the risk of alienating those for whom you have data for, but you also open yourselves up very wide to those same individuals speaking up and potentially crafting and creating lawsuits for you all. And in this space where a lot more individuals are speaking about unionizing and a lot more organizations are showing why that need is something that is both present and prescient, um, it is imperative that all of these organizations do the work to ensure that they have an understanding of what their numbers are and what they could be. Thank you. So, um, there are also a lot of great responses in the chat. Yes, there, there are a lot of great responses to this particular question um, in the chat as well, AJ. So, yep, run, run down the list of those and more, more uh, great responses and great questions. So what I want to do now, though, is give you all an opportunity to transition into the breakthrough session, because that was, I think, a beautiful exercise in getting your minds working. So how do we do this in real time with each other? And so we're going to put you in breakthrough sessions. All right, so um, the first group I'm gonna ask to report back is the group that uh, Ari was in with Diane, Donye, Donna, Kara. 
I got it right this time, and Katya. And Danier will time us for two minutes and um, we'll just report back sort of the nuances and highlights of what strategies you all came up with and where you sort of traveled in your conversation. Um, so, okay, so I'm reporting back for our group. Um, so the highlights um, as far as how has work shifted and what can be done differently. Um, we did spend a, a lot of time on what has shifted and, and primarily that was around um, just how work has changed completely being, uh, being remote. Um, and there was uh, a lot of emphasis on how it's changed for caregivers and women. Um, and for those whose lives, work lives and home lives really intersect. Um, and, um, sorry, I'm looking through all my notes here. <laughs> um, so as far as what can be done differently, we spoke about, um, um, that, um, we talked about so much. Um, so, a, a, you know, a big, um, So just one of the things that Ari brought us back to was uh, just doing the uh, kind of personal work of cultural humility within yourselves, keeping that practice for yourself uh, to be able to prioritize it then into, back out into the world um, and keeping communication open and asking questions. That was something that we talked about is how there's a big struggle right now. Um, this is something that uh, Kara brought up is that it's very difficult for, to be checking in because you don't have those in-person um, in-person interactions. And so um, just keeping communication open however you can and keep asking those questions um, to see how you, how can you be supporting people um, in this time when um, it's, it's difficult to communicate that. Um, I'm not sure how much more time I have, Gwen. <laughs> Danye, how are we doing? Are we good? Um, it's good, you're good. Okay, I'm good. All right. I'm trying to find, there was a really good point. I'm, I, I took notes for our group and I'm trying to find a, 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 a point in here and I just... Well, um, when, you, when, you, when you find it, you can put it in the chat and then right. again, the notes will be handed out to everyone. So um, we have sort of quick reflections from Donnie going out with you all opting in of whether we can share your contact information. And then at the end of the labs, we're going to send more comprehensive notes. And so this isn't the end, this is the beginning, all right? Um, so we're moving, thank you, Katya. We're moving to the next group. Um, it was Jen's group with AJ, Ashley, Gary, Natalie, Tony, and Veronica. So we'll have two minutes for that report back. Who's reporting back? We forgot to, we didn't do our homework. We forgot to designate a report back person. Do you want me to do it? Yeah, is that right? So, um, I think <laughs> We went, I know, we just talked, but we talked a little bit about this concept, um, I think that Tony brought up about resources. And again, like this concept of, which is what you've been addressing a lot, Gwendolyn, this whole COVID is this concept of scarce resources and then the resources toward equity, inclusion and protection of workers or people in our communities and our businesses gets pushed aside. And Tony was reflecting that, that concern. And then I, I was reflecting a little bit about the concern um, white fragility around being called out for some of this stuff in public spaces versus private business meetings. Like if you have a, you know, confidential circle 
you have an ability to maybe do some direct work if you confront somebody. It's something we talk about a lot about school committees and town boards and places where people, you know, are fragile. And, and you know, Jen correctly said, look, that's the work of the white people who have the privilege and the safety to have those conversations. So I, I get reminded again over and over again, and I think I get timid. Um, and I think Tony was talking also about getting in places to say, we can't forget about this work. We can't forget about this work. And how do you, Jen was suggesting you, you reach along lines. Gwendolyn, you had said earlier about not being, um, what did you say? It wasn't a cowboy. It was another one being like the only one out there fighting the fight. Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger. Yeah, Lone Ranger. That was it. Creating those alliances um, so that you aren't, but at the same time, that's really about projecting something that I don't have. I'm not as unsafe to call people out as Jennifer is or as you are, Gwendolyn, or as other people, or AJ, calling people out becomes unsafe for them versus me, it's not. And I need to- Comfort, that's that distinction, safety versus comfort, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, did I, I think I covered that a little bit. Um, it was resources versus calling people out. And that's, that's time, is that right? Well, thank you. What we wanna do is talk about it's because it's time, it's 11.31. I know we're in the middle of a work day. Um, thank you for those report outs. I really am grateful for all of you being here. Jen, I'm so grateful. Um, my heart is with Ashanti right now. And But just before that, if we rewind a little bit, you two together were just so fun. Um, I have to say that when I, I was referred to Ashanti and we've been building um, out the labs together, uh, she recommended Jennifer to me and I was just so excited to bring her into the new pathways. Um, process. So thank you for being a speaker and then for leading us in this work today. Thank you so much. And again, this is the beginning, not the end. So yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for the opportunity, Glenn. Thank yeah. you. And thank, thank you for everyone for participating and being so active and engaged. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We want to thank the Bridge Sustaining Donors and organizational members, as well as our New Pathways sponsors, the Pumpkin Foundation, the Moonlight Mile Fund, Berkshire COVID Response from the Berkshire United Way and Berkshire Taconic Community Foundation, Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, MCLA, and the Crane Foundation. Be well, do as much good work as you possibly can, and stay safe out there. This is our great opportunity, I think, to create great change.